0: How many of you did I meet on a Zoom call somewhere in the last couple years? Some of you pre-COVID or during COVID or whatever. Well, terrific. I am thrilled to be here because uh because I remember meeting those of you on Zoom call and I was very impressed with you guys. And I know Nick and Amy Stapleton from when they were students at Ohio University, I had tremendous respect for them. And I, I, I imagine you guys love them as leaders. I hope you do, you better, because they are some of our best in the whole country, just that you know, you are blessed with having some of our best local leaders in the whole country. Um, Yes, uh, I've been on staff, this is my 50th year, and you're thinking, no way, the dude looks 38 years old. Right, thank you. Uh, But this is my 50th year, and I've worked with students my whole time. I love working with college students. I'm going to die working with college students. I've already figured out my dream way of dying, because I love working with college students. I already figured it out. I'm in a student union on a campus, uh, talking to a student about knowing God's will for their life, and their calling over pizza. And boom, heart attack, face down on the pizza, and I'm gone, off to heaven. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a great way to go? Huh? would be a great way to go. Although one student said to me uh, at a conference when I shared it, he said, Hirsch, that's good for you. But what about the student sitting across the table for you, from you, who watches you drop? and has to carry you out of there. So yeah, that's, that's true. That wouldn't be good. Um, yes, but no, I love working with students. I graduated from Penn State, as was mentioned. Uh, worked at Miami of Ohio, if you've even heard of that place, uh, and at Penn State. So tonight, I would love to dive into a topic with you that uh, uh, I found everywhere I go, I speak on this topic, students Uh, really connect with it because it's so relevant to where we're living. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have experienced uh, disappointment in life? Okay. How many of you have experienced disappointment with God? Because you came into the Christian life thinking certain things would work a certain way, and they don't always work out the way according to our expectations. We know what disappointment is. It's unmet expectations, right? And sometimes God doesn't deliver quite as we think he should. I have two sons and two daughters um, who love the Lord, each uniquely serving him in unique ways. Uh, But I have one son who is no longer with us. But before I get to that, we're going to talk about a life of entitlement. Should have mentioned that. And the key question I want to ask you tonight is, will you live a life to demand your rights or yield your rights? That's the key question, those who are taking notes. Will I live a life to demand my rights or yield my rights? Now, this topic is not theoretical to me uh, because I had to go to the depth of my own experience of this when I lost my son, Brett. This is his picture. Um, Again, I have two sons, two daughters. This one, Brett, it says what it does because his senior year, In college at Indiana University, uh, his Army National Guard unit uh, was deployed to Afghanistan. His second semester senior year, seven credits to graduate. He was deployed to Afghanistan, and while there, uh, was killed when his vehicle went over a landmine. Um, He loved Jesus. Uh, He joined a fraternity in college, so he could have a ministry. He was leading the house, fraternity Bible study. We shared his faith with guys in his barracks in Afghanistan. Uh, The very week he died, he had us praying for different guys that they would come to know Christ. So when he died, uh, when he was killed, uh, it it was uh, brutal. It led my wife and I into the most difficult, painful, agonizing time of our life. And I wrestled hard. I wrestled hard with how do I understand God's love? How do I understand the goodness of God? When you go through something that's difficult to explain, It's like, Lord, I don't understand. Why? And I wrestled for a couple years with it. Of the many things that come out of it, one of the foremost things was this whole issue of, have I really yielded my rights? Now, I thought I had, but had I really yielded my right to have my son for 20 more years? I was 55 when he was killed. I had dreams of having 20 more years with him. When he got married, having little Brett Jr., bouncing on my lap when we went on vacation together, like the cute little Liam and Lucas boys, you met them. I dreamed of having little guys like that, and I lost that. Uh, So I had to come to grips with, what does it mean really to yield my rights? Uh, I want to show you a video of this guy so you can appreciate what a fun guy he was. It's only 15 seconds. Uh, The video was made uh, when he was at his last winter conference some of you have been to that, right, in Denver's yours. His last winter conference in Indiana, 2004, and the next year he was in Afghanistan. He was in his room just having fun, being his spontaneous self, and he made his little video. I want you to see it. Christmas conference, 2003, going into 2004. We're in room 1231. Noel, York, Dave, Hirsch, you're about to see something you've never seen before. Uh. Ready to go. There you go. Sorry, ladies. I didn't warn you. It was four dudes in boxers. <laughs> Hope you don't mind. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, he was just that kind of guy, fun, outgoing, loved people, loved sharing his faith, was sharing his faith constantly with guys in his fraternity. Um, uh, Thirty men came to from his fraternity came to the first Bible study that he had on Wednesday night after he was killed on Saturday morning. And 30 guys uh, went around the room, and each one shared. I was told this by another fraternity brother. Each one shared about what they learned about Jesus from Brett. That's the kind of impact he had because he was committed to sharing the gospel. Well, hey, so we're going to talk about uh, what it means to yield our rights. We're going to look at this passage. Let me pray uh, with us before we go further. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us tonight? Would you teach us? Lord, these men and women uh, are already committed to you, walking with you, have surrendered to you. Uh, So Lord, I just desire to take them deeper in understanding that a life of surrender means yielding our rights. And I know their hearts are totally with it. They're, They're leading and involved in this ministry here on their campuses. And yet, Lord, would you take them to a deeper level of even understanding how to not be entitled. Teach us, Lord, I pray you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, here's the passage we're going to look at. If you have your Bible, uh, you can look up here. You can cheat and look up here. But even better if you take your Bible or your cell phone and open it up because maybe you want to mark something up in the passage and get into the passage. But here it is. uh, Paul is speaking to the believers in Philippi. Uh, a group of believers that he helped start, a new movement, church. And he gives them this exhortation. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, we'll keep it there. and Let me explain his passage a little bit. Paul says, here's the attitude I want to encourage you to embrace. He says, the attitude is the one that Jesus had. And he says that Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Jesus was fully God in the flesh. We know that. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Fully God and yet fully man. It is not saying... That he he did he laid aside his deity. It's not saying that God taking on the form of his in his son Jesus, that Jesus laid aside his divine attributes. He possessed all of his deity, all of his divine attributes. So what is it that he laid aside? Not his attributes, but he laid aside his rights. He laid aside the things he was entitled to. I mean, think about it. Jesus was the most entitled person in all of human history, which we're going to talk about in a minute and yet he laid him aside. He laid aside all of his rights, even to the point of his ultimate right to live by going to the cross and dying on our behalf. Okay? Now, what are some of those rights? Let me just mention a couple of them. Uh, first of all, his right to comfort. His right to comfort. Jesus came, and as you know, Scripture says he had no place to lay his, hand, his head. He wasn't born in a palatial mansion. He was born in the manger, right? Uh, his right to respect and honor. Here he was, the son of God, the king of kings. He was with the father in eternity past, creating the whole universe. And yet he was disrespected, dishonored, mocked, called a fool, called of the devil. His right to justice, you know, when Jesus hung on that cross, this was the greatest injustice in all of human history. Your generation has a very healthy awareness of injustice, right? You care about justice. This was the greatest injustice ever. The righteous, holy, sinless Son of God who deserved every entitlement laid every entitlement aside and he was crucified in justice. His right to be understood, his own family didn't even understand him at first. His own brothers didn't believe in him. His right to life, you remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the disciples as he was about to be taken away, he said, if I want to, I can speak to the Father, I can call down a legion of angels who will keep me from this cross. He had the authority to speak the word and be spared from going to the cross. But, of course, he said, no, not my will, but yours be done, Father. He had his right to fellowship with the Father. Okay, You remember when Jesus was on the cross, he'd been in eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit all eternity. And that moment on the cross when he hung there and bore our sins, God the Father had to turn his back on his own son because of, our sin was placed on him. The sin of every murderer, every rapist, every pedophile, every sin you can ever name was placed on Jesus, and the Father had to turn away from his own son. So Jesus even gave up his fellowship with the Father when he took our sins. Now, was it easy for Jesus to yield his rights? No. He battled with this just as we do. Whenever you feel like, man, this thought of surrendering to Christ and yielding this right and giving up this. Man, this is difficult to do. Watch what it says here in Matthew 14 about how Jesus himself, the Son of God, struggles, struggled like we do. Watch this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began, now watch this, to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He experienced agony, sorrow. He was troubled in his soul. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the arrow might pass from me. And he said, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He's saying, oh, Father, if I didn't have to go the way of the cross, he knew what he was heading into. He knew what the Father was asking him to do, how horrifying the, the amount of suffering he was about to go through. He knew it, and he said, Oh, Lord, if I didn't have to, but not my will, but yours. So Jesus knew what it meant to wrestle with what God asked of him. Now, I want to, watch you, I want to show you a video clip uh, from The Passion of the Christ. How many have seen it? It came out like 20 years ago. And it's not exactly the kind of movie you buy on a Friday night and have popcorn and just have a good time with. It's a difficult movie. I want to show you one scene, and I'm not showing this scene to play with your emotions, but I want you to see the scene because we all say many times, well, Jesus died for my sins. We cognitively know Jesus died for my sins. But I want to suggest we need to feel at a gut level what Jesus went through in that cross. How he suffered for us. He suffered in a way that we deserved to suffer. I want you to watch this clip, and it's hard to watch. You may want to turn your head away. You can if you want. But I encourage you to engage with it and wrestle with the fact this is what my Savior did for me. Okay? So let's watch this clip. <laughs> Third enemy, come. Farius. when I first saw the movie in a premiere showing in our town, I sat there in the theater and we got to the scene and after it, I just started to weep. I just started to sob as I sat there in the theater realizing this is what Jesus did for me. I sobbed. I, I oh Lord, I deserved to be on that cross. I should have been nailed to that cross from my sin Jesus, you went through that for me. You know, uh, I only showed you a small clip there. If you watch the rest of the movie, you'll see the other part of it leading up to the actual crucifixion, the Roman flogging. And the Roman flogging in a crucifixion was 39 lashes where they had a whip made of braided leather thongs with metal balls and sharp pieces of bone woven into that. And they whipped him across his back across his legs across his bottom that's why the video is a good picture of he was ripped to shreds his flesh was ripped down to his bones when they took the spikes to his hands uh one thing is not quite accurate in that video is they showed the spike going through his hand and that's not quite in ancient greek language a hand included the whole wrist that spike would have been driven through this part of his body where the nerve comes right down there. Now, if you can imagine, and this is my little spike, if you can imagine, I mean, that hurts when I push on it just like that. And when that hammer was slammed on the top of this and drove all the way through his wrist into the wood, excruciating pain, horrible pain, suffering. In fact, the word excruciating in its transliteration literally means out of the cross. When you say I'm having excruciating pain here, pain that's out of the cross. So that's what Jesus went through for us. He yielded his rights, Philippians says, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And of course, he was mocked. Uh, We've been to Israel. I've been to Israel twice. I've been to the at the hill, which they think was probably the hill where he was crucified on, Golgotha. It looks like a skull. And I've seen it. And people walked on the Roman road around the city, the city around Jerusalem. And they looked up and they mocked him. And they laughed at him. Here's the king of the Jews. And they laughed and they mocked the high priest, the Roman soldiers. Jesus, the Son of God, bore all that. Now, How do we respond to what he's done for us? What do we do with that? We cognitively know it. How do we we respond at a gut level? Well, Paul said that we are to embrace that same attitude. That's what he's telling the Philippians. He says it again here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. He says, do you not know that your body is... (laughs) Okay, Uh, I can't read it there. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Here's the key word. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It says you are not your own. Meaning what? Meaning that Jesus, we know this, our ransom bought us out of sin and death and slavery to Satan with his blood. He was our ransom. He bought us out. Meaning what? He owns us. He has all the rights to my life. That when Jesus hung on the cross and paid the price for us, for our sin, we died with him. Romans chapter 6 teaches identity truths. We died with him, we're buried with him, we're resurrected with him, and we're now seated with him in the heavenly places. But it means this, the day you put your faith in Christ, you died with Christ on the cross because you're totally identified with him. A genuine believer who's put their faith in Christ has died with Jesus on the cross not only to the penalty of sin foremost, but it means you also died to your own agenda. It means he has the rights to my life. He owns me. He can call me and invite me to do whatever he wants me to do because I died to demanding my own agenda. That's what it means to be identified with Christ. He's Lord, Savior and Lord. Now, let's talk about what are some of the rights that we uh, have learned or have been taught to believe that we are entitled to. What are the things um, maybe that you struggle with most yielding your rights to? And d- rather than me talking about it, I want you to turn in your tables. We'll take a couple minutes, just a couple. Turn to each other's table and share with each other what are some of the rights that you most often wrestle with, the entitlements you've learned from your culture you think you have, or if you're not sure what they are, When do you get annoyed and upset when something is violated, a right is violated? Okay, turn to your neighbors and just interact on that for a couple of minutes. Will you do that? Okay, I only gave you a couple of minutes, but I want to be sensitive to your time this evening. Let me share with you a couple of the rights uh, that I want to mention that you probably mentioned around your table. Let's, uh, let me mention a couple. Uh, right to my own time and privacy, right? Right to my time, privacy, to do what I want to do, which by the way, you already know this because many of you are investing significant amount of time in this ministry. Many of you are serving as leaders, leading Bible studies, sharing your faith, helping run the movement. So you already are yielding that right to your time and privacy, right? You know, following Jesus and giving my life and service to him on campus means, you know, guys, maybe I don't watch, maybe I don't play video games twenty hours a week. Right? I maybe have a few less hours of doing video games to to serve Jesus. Now maybe maybe you guys don't play video games. You guys not play video games here in Colorado? You do? You spend all your time hiking the mountains. Video games are, okay. No, yeah, you do. All right. How about this one? A right to convenience and comfort. Anybody mention this one? right to convenience and comfort. I like to be comfortable. I don't like to be inconvenienced. Uh, how about a right to recognition and respect? Anybody? You want to be respected, highly thought of on campus, which is why why some students don't involve themselves in the Christian movement. Because let's face it, you're not going to get written up in a school newspaper and highly esteemed and honored By being a committed leader and crew, you got to do something else. Athlete, student government, something to get respect and honor. Right to be appreciated. You want to be appreciated for even your labor within the ministry. Sometimes we don't get the appreciation we think we're entitled to for our service. Right to be in control. Okay, who are the control freaks in the house? Let me see your hands. A few of you, you like to be in control, Right. And this idea of laying aside my right to be in control is like, ouch, because, Lord, I want to call the shots what I do. Yeah. Uh, it's just a few you raised your hands. The rest of you are liars. Fine. I get it. Uh, right to acceptance and approval. Is that a big one for anybody? Uh, does that hinder you from sharing your faith sometimes? You know, I want so much to be liked and approved of that I don't take that step of faith to share Jesus because I might lose my entitlement to be respected. Yeah, that's a very real thing. Right to be treated fairly to justice. Let me just say, if you walk with Jesus, you will be treated unfairly at some time in your life. You will be. Because following Jesus means I'm going upstream against the culture which is going this way. See, so you will be treated unfairly. You will be persecuted. Yay, isn't that great to know? Yeah. Right to good health. Hey, let's talk about uh, rights to... You're f- related to your future calling, to what you do post-college, because that's always a big deal. You know, one of our rights related to our future is autonomy. Again, the control issue. You know, I come into school, uh, I've had a certain major in mind, right? Uh, I've had a certain major in mind, or maybe my parents had a certain career they want me to pursue. And I want to be in control of that future and that job that I take. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, here's a good one. Write to financial security and to make a lot of money. You know, you hear this in the classroom. Your profs maybe tell you, based on what your major was, that you're entitled to make 60, 70, 80,000 when you graduate. Uh, not if you're in education, no. But uh, if, if you're in some other major like engineering or business, you, you believe you're entitled to make X amount of dollars when you graduate. Well, what if the Lord calls you into something in service to Him that doesn't give you that amount of money. I'm laying aside my right. I had a young man I discipled at Miami of Ohio. He was on the baseball team, and he was really good, and he was offered a pro contract from the New York Yankees. Uh, But he'd been on a summer mission overseas, like you guys, going to Estonia. He went to summer mission in East Asia. While there, God captured his heart to want to spend his life helping reach that part of the world for Christ. So he came back, and he followed God's calling in his life, and he said no to the New York Yankees. Now, he could have lived for Christ as a baseball player, of course, but he knew that God's calling for him was to that part of the world, and he turned down the bucks, the fame, the status to serve Jesus. And that's one, right to respect and status. Sometimes what drives, what drives our career choice is the desire for status, for respect. I want a position that uh, will be highly esteemed. Um, it goes along with this one, right to be understood right to family approval. You know, when I went to school, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, uh, and I went into a pre-law kind of major. Uh, that's what my parents wanted me to do, and I used to watch law and order type TV shows. So that informed my thinking about my future. Not the Lord, not God's wisdom, just oh, it would be cool to be a lawyer because that's all on TV. Well, then I got there, and I got involved with the crew, and I started learning how to share my faith, how to lead Bible studies, how to disciple, and I loved it. I said, I love this. I love sharing the gospel with people. I want to do this not just part-time on the side. I want to do this 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. Disciple men, share the gospel. Wow, this is great. And so I, I changed my major, and I didn't pursue a career in law, much to the chagrin of my parents. So after my in my junior year when I went home and, and said, you know, I don't think the Lord is leading me to a career in law. He's leading me to into vocational ministry. Uh, they weren't excited about it. That's not what they spent their money on to send me to college. It was not prestigious. How are they going to say to the neighbors out on the sidewalk? My son is a lawyer. Well, no, my son works for a nonprofit campus ministry. What the heck is crew? Is it a fungus in the bathroom? What is crew? I don't know what it is. (laughs) How do I explain that? And you know what? I had to make a decision. Am I going to follow God's calling my life, or am I going to live out the entitlement of having mom and dad and their approval. Having mom and dad say, we are so proud of you, son, which they never said. Because they chose a career that was not what they wanted. I had to lay aside the right to family approval. Here's one you're not going to like. Right to relationships and marriage. How about that one? We like that one? Laying aside my right. Let me ask you, how many of you are tired of going to somebody else's wedding? How many go to somebody else's wedding, you sit there, this is crap, I'm so tired of this. Lord, I want to go to my own wedding. What the heck? I'm tired of going to my friend's wedding. When do I get to go to my wedding? Right? Because we assume we have that right. Now, the good news is probably the majority of you will be married because marriage is the norm. And yet there are some who we call to a wonderful life of singleness because that is a wonderful way to live out their commitment to Christ. But it's yielding my right to do that. Right to a long life. Last one I'll mention. And of course, that's where rubber hit the road for me with my son because he was only given 23 years, not 70. I haven't been able to enjoy him for the last 17 years. Can't wait to see him in heaven. That's why I'm ready to go anytime. Can't wait to see him again. Now, I want to show you a diagram that is a visual picture of everything I've said. And this is profound. This explains my Ph.D. in physics right here which I don't have. When I yield my rights to the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, you died on the cross for me. I'm identifying with you. I am so grateful for what you did for me. I yield my rights to you, and whatever privileges you want to return to me, I will be so thankful for. See, there's a difference between rights that I demand and privileges I'm grateful for. And we get them confused. And what God is calling us to do out of our love for Christ and our identification is to yield those rights and let him return whatever privileges. Privilege of marriage, privilege of high-paying job, whatever. Here's the thing I've observed in 50 years of a campus ministry. This is another profound statement that explains my other Ph.D. in literature. No. Christians who yield their rights make a difference. You say, Hirsch, that's not very profound. No, it isn't. But I can tell you 50 years of experience tells me that Christians on campus who have an impact for Christ – are the ones who yield their rights. Lay aside their right to their own time and privacy. Lay aside their right to do what they want to do. They're saying, Jesus, I want you to use my life. I lay aside my right. They're the ones who make a difference. And the Christians who don't become part of a movement and don't spend their time invested for Christ, they make very little difference for Christ because they're too self-absorbed, too caught up in their own little entitled life. Right? Now, Here's what I'm persuaded of. Because this is true, I think your generation has the potential to accomplish something that no generation in all of church history has yet accomplished. What am I talking about? We know the Great Commission was given to the early disciples, right? To Matthew, James, and all the boys, and many of the women, right? Jesus gave them the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and said, Go into the world, make disciples of all the nations of all the people groups on earth. He passed that baton to each generation. They passed it over the next, to the next, to the next. In Matthew 24, 14, when Jesus was answering the question of the disciples, Lord, what, is the, what are the signs of your coming? What is the end of the age? And he gives them some signs about when he will return. And the signature sign in that whole group is in Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus says, and this gospel shall be preached in all the nations, to all the peoples, and then the end shall come. So he's saying the generation that takes this baton, that is the last generation, will be the one who finishes the mission, who lays aside their rights and goes to the world with the gospel, to Estonia and everywhere else, and gets the gospel to all the earth. That generation will finish the mission, and it will herald the return of the king, the return of Christ. I am persuaded that your generation, very possibly, now I don't know this for sure, but very possibly could be the ones who finish the mission. In fact, so much so, I wrote the book, which you mentioned earlier. I wrote this book called The Finishers. And the whole thesis of the book is why your generation could be the ones who finish the mission and why it could be in your lifetime and what it's going to take for the college students of this generation to be the ones who finish it. It's really my best teachings from the last 30 years on what it's going to take. And I won't go into a lot of it. You, you can, it. I have them here in the back. If you want one, you can grab one. I sell, sell them for only $6. You don't want to go to the website. Go to Amazon and get it. And you'll pay $12. Bucks. Um, I'm happy for you to have one for only 6 bucks. You can use Venmo if you want. But feel free to grab one. But I go into what are the reasons. And that has to do with the church has grown and swung all around the world. Uh, financial resources are greater than ever in our time to finish the mission. Transportation, we can be around the world in half a day. And furthermore, technology. You know this, right? We have a technology in your generation that we've never had before. I mean, we can send videos across the world. The Jesus film is now translated into nearly 2,000 languages. Wycliffe, Bible translators, by the year 2033, hopes to have a translation in every people group on the planet. Technology makes so much of this possible. I mean, could you imagine what the Apostle Paul had done if he had been on Facebook, or if he had, had a Twitter account. I mean you wake up or an Instagram. You wake up one day, you get an Instagram from Paul, and he says, Here's a picture of he and Silas. And it says, uh, Silas and I in prison in Philippi for preaching the gospel. Earthquake happens, jailer comes to Christ, hashtag prison life has its benefits. <laughs> you are living in possibly the greatest generation in human history because you could bring human history to an end and usher in the return of the king. That's the privilege you have to be a part of if you will yield your rights and not demand your rights. All right? Can I conclude with a couple pictures of a few people that I've had the privilege of watching yield their rights and make a huge difference? Here's my son who you saw earlier. Picture of him in Afghanistan. He influenced so many guys in his fraternity in the military, um, because he was constantly walking around his fraternity, reaching out to guys, dying to self, yielding his rights. This is Dan. Next picture. Dan went on to medical school after Miami, um, finished his residency, and had a passion uh, to use his medicine overseas. He could have started his orthopedic practice worth a couple hundred thousand bucks a year, but he called me and said, "Hirsch, I gotta go to the world where they a part of the world where they've never heard about Jesus. I just got to." He joined a uh, medical missions ministry and he's practiced orthopedic surgery for 20 years in Kenya. Healed the bones of Kenyans and trained African nationals who came from all over the continent in orthopedic surgery and in evangelism and discipleship. This is Dan. Sean, after graduation, went on to law school. God gave him a passion over the horrible evil of the sex slave trade and upon graduating from law school, joined a ministry called International Justice Mission, if you've heard of it. It's committed to dealing with the problem of sex trafficking. And he spent the last 20 years doing that. Uh, this next, suit I have next? Next slide. Uh, Shelley came to Christ at Butler University. Uh, ended up coming, doing an overseas stint, one, a one-year stint in East Asia. Loved it so much, much to the chagrin of her parents, I might say. Loved it so much she stayed for a few years longer. Uh, became a regional director of a multinational team reaching the most underreached people in that part of East Asia. Uh, And she also then met the man who's her husband, who was a Kiwi, a New Zealand guy, in East Asia. It's a great story. Anyway, this is Eric, a young man who uh, came to Christ. He grew up in the hood in inner-city Cleveland, came to Christ uh, his freshman year, was involved in the movement. God gave him a heart for ministry. He had lucrative job offers from Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. Turned him down because he felt the Lord call him into vocational ministry. Came on our staff for a few years. Then he went to seminary. And um, then he planted a church in inner city Detroit, the poorest part of inner city Detroit. Here's his team. Next slide. Is his team uh, of folks that built a ministry in inner city Detroit. Fabulous ministry. Uh, let's skip on to Steve, if you would, bro. Skip Steve. Anybody know who this good dude is? You probably don't. <laughs> he is the, he's now retired, but he was former president of Crew. And you know where he graduated from? MIT and Harvard Business School with his MBA. Easily stepped into a corporate position worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. He turned him down because he said, I believe God has given me gifts in finances and management, infrastructure, and Crew at that time, big vision, but we didn't have... And infrastructure. We didn't have the business acumen to develop a ministry. He stepped into that role and served as our president for, I don't know, 20 years. Using the gifts God gave him to be a steward over them to help finish the mission. Hey, here's the last one I want to tell you about John, and I end with this. This is John, who uh, uh, I had the privilege of discipling for two years at Miami of Ohio. You you know if you're involved with the crew, we're kind of big on this whole discipleship thing, right? You get that? We're kind of all about that. And want to help you learn how to sh- share your faith. He also went on a summer mission overseas to East Asia, caught a vision for reaching that part of the world, came back, and uh, he was dating the gal, Sherry, at the time, wonderful gal, part of our movement, but she did not have a heart to go overseas. She wanted to serve Christ here. I watched John make the incredibly difficult decision because they thought they were in love and were going to get married. He made the decision that he had to follow God's calling on his life, even surrendering Sherry to the Lord. So he yielded his right to Sherry and saying, Lord, if you give me the privilege of being married, that'll be great. If not, but I'm going to follow your calling. He went on to East Asia as a businessman with Northwest Airlines, his tremendous business acumen, uh, entrepreneur, um, be hooked up with some other men and women, business folks in East Asia, and they planted a church in one of the largest cities in East Asia. And that church grew to like 5,000 people coming out on a Sunday morning from 60 different nations. He told me in an email one year, he said, Hirsch, this year I got to lead two Iranians, two Iraqis, and an Afghani to Christ in a city in East Asia. He's had a phenomenal ministry. And you know what it goes back to? It goes back to the decision. He made his senior year to say, Lord, I yield my rights to this woman. I will trust you for another woman if you call me to marriage. And he had a huge ministry because of that decision. He went on while he was there in East Asia. God did return the privilege of marriage, and he met this woman in that city in East Asia who became his wife. God returned that privilege. Now, what's my point in all this? I want to ask you to consider right now as we close and as I pray, is there a right or an entitlement in your life right now that you are clinging to. A right or an entitlement that you need to say, Lord, I, I'm going to yield that right to you. Many of you have already made a lordship decision. You've already surrendered to Jesus, the Lord of your life. So I'm not even talking about that because you've already done that. I'm asking you to identify, is there an entitlement in your life? Entitlement to co- uh, comfort, to make a lot of money, to please parents. Is there an entitlement that could keep you from experiencing God's calling in your life and the great pleasure and fulfillment of following his calling or having a ministry right now on your campus. So let me close in prayer, and I think the band's going to come up and lead us to another worship song, I do believe. Would you pray with me now and take just a moment, and would you reflect on that question? Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Is there a right or an entitlement then you need to say, Lord, I need to yield this to you. Would you pray about that right now? Just take a moment, bow your heads, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If there is none, great. If he speaks to you about one, you need to choose whether or not you'll yield that or not to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on that cross. I don't know if we'll ever comprehend or fathom to the deepest level what it meant for you to go to the cross for us. But, Jesus, you did. And, Lord, our response to you is to say, oh, yes, Jesus, I, I want to identify with you in every way. I want to identify with you in victory and in joy. And in abundance, I want to identify with you in suffering and in yielding my rights. Jesus, persuade our hearts that when we yield our rights to you, it leads to a far greater fulfillment than we've ever imagined, being right in the place you would have us be with our lives. So Holy Spirit, keep speaking to us even as we sing. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.